I'm Alicia. And I'm Robin. And you're listening to Bowel Moments. The podcast sharing real talk about the realities of IBD. Served on the rocks. This week, we talked to Tommy Hazleton. Tommy has been living with ulcerative colitis, and we talked to him about what it was like being a performer and a musician while symptomatic. We talked to him about the unique things he credits for his long-term remission. We talked to him about how he found community in Camp Oasis and a support group, including creating a friendship with former guest Stacy Calabro. Just a reminder, guys, that the views expressed by our guests and by us are ours alone and should not be construed as medical advice. Cheers. Hi, everybody. This is Robin. Welcome to Battle Moments. Hey, guys, this is Alicia, and we are really excited to be joined by Tommy Hazelton. Tommy, welcome to the show. We're really excited to hear your story. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And of course, the very first question we ask you is unrelated to your IBD, but what are you drinking? Well, before I learned there was going to be a video element, I was going to say a 1957 <laughs> Glenfiddich neat. <laughs> But uh, well, since we're the only ones watching the video, you can say it. <laughs> you might not. Well, you might not know. Well, that's exactly what I'm drinking. I'm drinking. <laughs> I, I like I kinda, the peaty, earthy flavor. I knew I was in trouble when in the last podcast you both had you would mash blueberries into your drink. What I'm going for is a we'll call it a town hall, but let's call it the town bar. And I'm having my beer at the bar, and you guys love are sitting it. across the bar from me. And well, I guess we're gonna shoot the you know what, you know. I love it. I love yes. It. Do what kind of beer is it? Do you want to? It's 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 my bar beer. It's it's Dos Equis. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and there's there's all this controversy now. I think it's controversy where it's either dressed or whatever with the salt. And I don't do the salt. I've already oh. got high blood pressure, so I like to say I keep mine half dressed, like I yes. prefer my beaches. You know, places like that. Oh my god, I love this so I'm much. I'm already excited for this conversation. Me too. I before I figured out I couldn't drink beer, that was the way I would drink my Dos Equis. No salt. Like just, I I don't need it. I don't like the salt, but the, I like a little lime in there. I appreciate that. I had to have the lime and uh, I did put this mug in the freezer. Hold it out. And I mean, nice. You know, so nice yeah, I'm going touch. for the full effect. Yes. Fancy. For somebody yeah. late to the party that didn't really have a big plan for a fancy drink. <laughs> uh, other than the seven <laughs> So yeah, I'm at the bar. I'm having a, a cold Dos Equis. What about you guys? I am boring today. I've had a very long day. I am drinking um, very fancy water. That's it. Just water. But just for everyone who has listened to the show, I finally had my appointment with my rheumatologist, which I talked about many episodes ago. It finally happened. So it's been a week of tests and x-rays and lab work. So it's been a long day. So I'm just trying to rehydrate with some water. Alicia, what are you drinking? Well, first of all, I'm going to say good job, Robin, because I know that it was not easy for you to make that appointment and to take the chance that you would have something else to add to your resume. So good job. I know it sucked. So I told you my husband got me like, little cordials for Christmas. And so this is a hibiscus cardamom mimosa. That is I know. very fancy. I know. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. It may be, uh, may be really sitting shitty. out under an old oak tree as the sun sets. <laughs> yes. That's know, what I'm doing. Swing or something like that right now. I, I'm actually I'm near an old oak tree. So okay. I'll take that. Yeah. Well, Tommy, again, we're so excited to have you on the show. So next question for you is tell us your IBD story. What brings you into our community? Yeah. Many years ago, 96, I was a recent graduate of college and I was having a pretty good time and all of a sudden you know I got super sick and kept having to go to the bathroom go to the bathroom go to the bathroom and just eventually started to kind of waste away and you know finally my parents were like oh we need to come in and 
And then I got a scope after about three weeks of being deathly ill. And turns out I had ulcerative colitis, which of course I had never heard of up until that point, like so many other people, you know, and I'm still kind of bent, you know, it's like, ah, it's such an ugly name. Crohn's disease sounds so cool, you know, like, but ulcerative colitis is like, do we have to be literal? Can we not have a cool name? You know, I mean, yes, it does explain what it is, yet no one understands and puts that together. But I got that disease. You see, I like to call it UC, you know. So uh, it was a rough time, but diagnosed after the scope and then spent many, many years kind of learning to manage, manage it my own way by, you know, taking a lot of prednisone. And trying out, you know, all of the sulfur drugs and acicol took that for a while. And I would get sick probably two, three, four times a year, maybe. And I would usually, you know, after a while, I just figured it out. And again, this is a college kid. I'm not recommending anyone do this, but I was just, you know, I'll save that bottle of prednisone and I don't need to go to the doctor this time. And I was doing a lot of, well, a lot of experimentation with, oh, how quick can I go up and how quick can I come down? Not really the best stuff, but nonetheless, after 10 years of that, I had osteopenia and that was kind of a wake up call. So I decided to try Intercort, which was, I guess, a less, less side effects than the prednisone, which by the way, the prednisone for me uh, gave me the munchies like no other. And it really, really allowed me to find my own rage. You know, like I could get mad. I want to punch my hand through the radio in the card, you know, in the dash mad. And I went that way for a, a, maybe, maybe a little too long, you know, so I had to try something else and I tried into court and man, I got, I got super sick and it did not work. And I think at that point, I finally, after a, a really, really long fight with my doctors at the time, I actually had switched doctors and eventually ended up under Dr. Kumar in Austin, Dr. Deep, uh, who's pretty well known, at least in, in Texas and in our area. And for lack of a better word, he was, he was willing to let me experiment, but not at first. And so he said, you need to go on Imuran. I went on Imuran and I got better and I stayed on it for a while. Now, let me back up a little bit. So in that 10 years that I was sick and that, you know, I say 10 years now and been 26 years ago, 27, I've been, I've been in remission for 16 years. So that 10 years seems small. Uh, but at the same time, you're like, that's 10 years. It was a long time to have to deal with it. And obviously I'm, I'm super grateful that I am in remission and have been, I feel very lucky. But in, in ways I'll explain, you know, I, I was trying everything. And that was my point about backing up. Like I was an experimenter. I just wanted to kind of test things out. And at the time, this was early internet. So there were, you know, a handful of message boards, for example, about this. So I'm on there, I'm looking around and there's this, you know, there's this whole holistic, you know, sect out there, people who are saying, try this, try that. I, I remember, and you know, this was the first time in my life when I lived in, by that point I had moved to Austin and I lived in a bigger city and they had a Whole Foods, you know, a place where you could actually go and find this kind of stuff. So I was, you know, going down that rabbit hole. I spent a lot of time. Uh, I was involved with our local support group. That's where I met Stacy, my good buddy, uh, my crony. And that's also, you know, through the support group, that's how I found out about Camp Oasis. But during that time, like the, the support group that we were in, 
Oh my God. I mean, you want to talk about a cast of characters. I mean, there were people in there who they were doing all kinds of things. And, and maybe I was like, all right, this, this is interesting. We were in this world, you know, of where there, again, you couldn't get good data at the time. There were no good drugs. Imuran was like the big thing. And I was like, I'm going to be that one person that's going to get the brain tumor or whatever. So I, I fought it as long as I could. But after kind of being in that support group, I think it set me up for what was to come. And I'm going to back way, way up here because this is how I'm going to get to where I'm going. When I got sick, I really just tried to, I had to think about everything about my life. Like what caused this? And, you know, your previous podcast where uh, he was saying that he had food poisoning uh, in a foreign country. Like I really, like when I first got sick, that was what it was like. And then it just, it didn't abate. It didn't, it just got worse. And then it got like way worse. You know, like what, what is this coming out of my body kind of worse? Like this is something is not right here, clearly. So I started thinking about like, what the hell, man? Why did I get this? No one else. Well, I shouldn't say no one else. My grandmother very late in her life was diagnosed with Crohn's, but it was maybe not even a year before she actually passed away. But, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe there was something to that. But my main thing is that I went all the way back to when I was a baby. And I'd always heard these stories as it was from my mom. And the big story about me being a baby, other than I had a crooked neck, <laughs> was that uh, I had something called torticaucus was that I could not I was allergic to my mom's breast milk. I was allergic to every formula on the market, but one, you know, and thank God there was that one or I would, I wouldn't be here. You know, I probably would have died, but I, I always wondered like, and then, so fast forward quite a few years and I get married. I'm still flaring. I got married in 2003, which is the same year, the first year I ever went to camp. And I got married that year, went to camp that year and going to camp that year. It really made me change my outlook. I didn't feel sorry for myself anymore. I spent a lot of time being mad, which didn't do me any good, right? So going to camp, definitely, it immediately changed my perspective, which was good because again, 10 years, you know, at that point I'm in year eight and yeah, I did. I had, um, you know, several years before that I had a band and, you know, we would have shows to play on a, you know, midnight, any given day of the week. And I knew, like, I was like, I can't be up there on stage. And if you've ever been in a men's bathroom in a bar in 1998, they didn't even have doors, <laughs> you know? So what I would do from the live music standpoint was I just wouldn't eat. And then, yeah, I would, uh, I would drink like a rock star. Uh, and then I would be in no pain and I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom until the next day when the, you know, the Grim Reaper comes to call. And, but that, that's how I did it. I mean, I would eat two or three crackers, saltines for the gig and that, that worked, you know, and then I'm sure I was taking my, my steroids or whatever, Again, trying to get there and, and knowing, knowing the whole time, like that ACE call is not working for me. It's just not, I wouldn't be getting sick if it was, uh, you know, you see the ACE call, you know, the next day and it's like, okay, that's definitely not working. So, so that was, that was all very trying. And I just to kind of round up my whole experience. Like I have really vivid memories of, you know, I was in the band, so I kind of had a party house and there'd be a nice big party at my house and I'd be in my bedroom in the fetal position, you know? and couldn't move and just, uh, you know, having to sneak to the bathroom almost like I don't even want anybody to see me, you know, and I balance that out by playing shows and having fun. And yeah, probably doing things that were not so good for my body, but I had to get by, you know, so that all happens. I, I go through that. I, I meet my wife who on our second or third date, she told me that she had had IBS and I was like, what? Oh my God, IBS. 
So, you know, you kind of know, you kind of get it. I immediately felt like, wow, I don't have to explain all this to her. Because prior to that, you know, as anyone would know who has it, it's a discussion you got to have. And it's not really, nobody wants to have it. Uh, but that kind of took the pressure off of that. And that, that and I knew I was like totally in love with my wife. So that, that helped as well. But that was like, I can't tell you the relief. And I'm sure other people, you know, now, now, you know, people say, oh, I have a friend who has that or something. I'm like, oh, really? I got like a hundred friends that have it, you know? So she got pregnant and I, I was still thinking and this, and she literally, she got pregnant the same month I was trying to enter court. So I was just like destroyed and I was not giving up. Right. I'm just going to keep trying this. And, you know, three weeks later, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bleed to death here if I don't do something else. But the whole time I'm thinking, you know, and flashing back to Whole Foods, one thing that I had purchased in my, you know, early days of desperation was goat colostrum. So, you know, uh, which is readily available. And I tried that to no effect, but it did occur to me, wow, I'm about to have a little baby and my wife's going to have some human colostrum. (laughs) And so uh, just again, out of desperation and what's it going to hurt? You know, I drank my wife's colostrum right after my child was born. And uh, I've been in remission ever since. Now, I can't say if that's exactly what did it. And I, full disclosure, I was on Imuran at the time. But I also proceeded to drink my wife's breast milk on the pump and dump because, you know, you have a little um, have a little wine. And you got to do the pump and dump while well, you're throwing away like Mother Nature's most perfect food. Right. Uh, so, you know, I drank my wife's breast milk. I did this with two kids. I had two children by and large being the most stressful thing I had ever encountered by a factor of about a million. I feel like everything was right for me to flare. I should have been deathly ill. And I really, to this day, I do not know how people do it uh, who are flaring with little kids. I felt like I was not going to be able to do it. I don't think I could have done it. I somehow didn't have to. And I can only really wonder which of all these things that I tried made that happen. And there's, you know, there's some romanticism in it. It's like, wow, my wife saved me. At the same time, I think that, you know, I, you hear about bodybuilders now, like paying for breast milk and and things like that. So I think, you know, like, again, don't knock a teacher. (laughs) Uh, I know that's silly to say. I also, I also wonder too, like, have I placeboed myself into this by believing in my own story so much? I have more to my story than that and and more reasons to why I kind of tie it all together. Cause again, I've tried to solve this as a problem because obviously it is. And man, you got, you got a lot of time to do it. So I really do believe personally, my disease was caused by perhaps a genetic predisposition coming into contact with an environmental agent, some type of bacteria and something that I ate. I was in college, who knows what the heck I was eating at the time. And so Within that, I tried to, again, write my guts by trying putting different things in there. And I'm pretty sure something that I find very interesting, but I think maybe falls in the same line of just crazy, let's try anything from left field, would be fecal transplants, for example. I was just about to say that, like, people have tried crazier things, or at least, you know, things that could be considered crazier. I'm going to stop you because I feel like you could keep talking about your story. I have so many questions. (laughs) I mean... First of all, what was your wife's reaction when you asked her that? I think that you are the first person that we've had on the show that's been in a long-term remission. I mean, I feel like people have been in long-term remissions, but then have had flared again, like have just maintained no Alicia shaking her head. We, at me. Yeah. We've had a couple, like Lauren is in pretty good remission. Oh, Lauren and is, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Lauren so we've had like about, I think we've had about like five people that were in really good. And then we okay. have a bunch of people that just like had surgery. So, you know, right. we, we either maybe we I'm go just to either focusing, end. Just right. Maybe I'm just focusing end. on the surgery. 
Okay, so, but one of few, one of a few people who have been in a long-term remission that have been able to maintain it. And then obviously the colostrum and the breast milk. So what did your wife say? That's my first question. You know, I mean, at the time, I, I'm, I don't even remember, but she knows me well enough to know I don't always color within the lines. So I'm sure she thought it was crazy. But again, I probably presented it to her as, you know, well, I didn't have breast milk as a child. That was the main thing, which they you everywhere you read about it, it is like the perfect food. And, and most importantly, the baby gets the immunity, so much of the immunity from the colostrum, not just the milk, but the colostrum. And that's, I think that's pretty well known science, right? So I, I felt like I was just playing a science card, like, you know, let me try this. But okay, so this is my other question for you specific in that domain is that like, did you worry about your child then not getting enough colostrum if you were also partaking? I mean, he was full at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I did wait till he was done. Okay. (laughs) I don't recall actually if I went for the colostrum on the second child. So, uh, because, you know, I was in a, I was already in a a pretty good space and. Well, now you have a new experiment. If you're, if your older child is sicker than your younger child, like, I don't know, maybe, Maybe. I don't know. You have your own science experiment at home. They both were sick all the time from zero to six, you know, so they're they're good now. Children. Yeah. Yeah. I have a follow-up question. Did you tell your doctor? Did you talk to your doctor about it? Absolutely. Yeah. And what did your doctor Uh, say? My doctor. Like I said, oh, well, and here's the beauty, beautiful thing. And I should say, like, I mean, this is important. Like, I haven't been on Imuran for 12 or 13 years. So I, I take nothing. And I, I almost wished I hadn't been on it at all because that would have been a more, well, more of the scientific method. But but again, I'm not complaining, you know. Uh, and it's great to not be on, you know, a really strong medication like that, that otherwise, you know, can do basically lower your immune system. What was the question again? <laughs> What did your doctor say? You said you told oh, um, your doctor. So what did your doctor say? He, I mean, he he definitely lent me his ear. At this point, he can't argue with me. What my doctor will say is that, you know, after every scope that I get, he says I have acquiescent ulcerative colitis. So he he can see signs, he says, you know. So uh, I know it's not gone. And of course, you know, medicinally, they'll they'll tell you it's not unless they cut the whole thing out. So there's no cure for colitis, but wouldn't just permanent remission be a cure? I don't know. You know, I mean, that's the first step. So you're in symptomatic remission and maybe clinical remission, but he can still see signs endoscopically. So technically you're not right. in endoscopic remission. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, symptomatic remission is like not experiencing symptoms. Whoo, that would be amazing. Oh, it's normal life. I mean, I, yeah. I have, my life is normal and I, I think I appreciate it a lot more than the average person. Uh, and I, I hate it for my friends, you know, like I wish they would find their magic breast milk or, or whatever, you know, uh, whatever works, you got to keep trying. Like I was relentless with what I was trying. I had to figure it out and everybody's body is different. So what I try to do is I try to keep my gut in check and I have my secret weapon. If you had told me this, Whenever I first got sick, uh, when I was probably a really picky eater and lived in Mississippi instead of Texas, if you told me this, then I would have thought you were a little bit crazy. But I eat a lot of salsa, like pretty much every day. And just it's a it's very, very off the wall, completely made up theory. But I know there are obviously medicinal benefits to capsaicin besides saving your life whenever you're, you know, about to get mugged. But almost that exact same thing, right? I've got a, I'll use an analogy here. Well, look at me. Oh, I've, I've got a thief in my gut, you know? Well, I need to pepper spray him. So I'm going to eat a bunch of hot salsa and it's going to clean me out and he's going to go with it. And I don't know if that's exactly how it works scientifically, but that is my, this is my regimen for not getting sick. 
it's the most simplistic viewpoint, but I really just believe there's something in that pepper that whatever got a hold of me, it doesn't like it. And that's why, it, even though it's there and my doctor tells me it's there, it hasn't come out in a long time. Alicia and I have both lived in Texas. I mean, I enjoy a good salsa, but I'm going to tell you right now that I will not be eating hot salsa at all ever. It is a recipe for some serious butt burn. There is no building up a tolerance for it because I have a J pouch now. So if you're in an active flare or, you know, have a J pouch or something, I would very strongly recommend that you stay away from the hot salsa. It could, you know, cause problems in the end, literally in the end, in your end. And also, you know, we love dietitians on this show. If you're listening to the show, you know, we talk about it. So when you are considering food options, reintroducing food, something that might be a little scary, you know, talk to a professional. They'll help you make a plan about ways to reintroduce foods that you want to enjoy to increase your food quality of life. We love, we love a good dietitian. Like delicious salsa. So do you feel like because your story is a little out there, I mean, you know, slightly out there compared to what most people have tried. Do you feel like it has opened the door for other people to just share their craziest moments, things that they've done, like weird things that they've done too? Do you feel like it's, you've just been like, this is what I do. And everyone comes at you with their weird stuff too. Well, I mean, that's, that's how a lot of things happen in the world, right? There's always people who have, you know, their recommendations and I mean, God, look at the internet, right? There's 400 diets. So there's so many different things out there to try. I think my story just being as as kind of crazy as it is just goes to show mainly that, you know, just keep trying. I meet people all the time. They've been, they've been diagnosed for three years. And it's like, well, you know, I had it really bad for 10 years, but I don't have it at all now. And it's been more than 10 years since I had it at all. So I just tell it mainly just to, just to give people hope. Like there was a magic bullet for me seemingly or more than one, you know, I mean, I I continue to try. And I I would say too, like in those moments that I call it walking the ledge. And if I've got diarrhea for three days in a row, I'm going to get worried. And I have already decided that I cannot have this disease again, or it's going to destroy me. Right. Like if, cause my remission's like Tom Brady, it just won't go away. And I hope it stays that way. Uh, you know, but Tom's got to retire and I have to consider the fact, especially every time I go get the scope and, you know, Dr. Kumar likes to sit there and, you know, well, we <laughs> so we hope it's more like Tom Brady than Brett Favre. Yes. Yeah. I went to Southern Miss. Don't even mention Brett Favre to me right now. I mean, you said Mississippi. That's why I mentioned Brett Favre. So yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I can't think about him right now. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, back just, to IBD. <laughs> back to IBD. I just, I think I just throw it out there because it is maybe so outlandish, but for me personally, it, it, I know, it's stupid to say, but it feels like it's rooted in some kind of science, some kind of, you know, backdoor science that I somehow figured out myself. I don't know. I mean, it worked. I mean, that's just that's just what it boils down to. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if it didn't work. And the fact that it did work while I had little kids when I was, oh, God, I mean, it was so, so hard, you know, and I and stress was always a trigger for me. Right. So it's really it's not that it worked. It's that it worked at the most stressful period of my life. I mean, I think the other thing that's important here is that what you were doing wasn't necessarily going to 
harm you. Can we back up? I want to talk a little bit about support groups because number one, I think this was probably the most fun support group I can ever imagine between you and Stacy. Stacy Calabro, guest of the show, Stacy, who I laughed so hard when we were recording her episode that my husband was like, are you okay? Like, he's like, I, you were like snort laughing upstairs and you don't hear it because we mute ourselves on the show. He was like, you were cackling. However, to me, like the, in working with support groups in the past, like it was a lot more women that tended to attend it. So I'm curious about, was there a barrier for entry for you? So like when you were like saying, I think I need to talk to people. I think I need to make some sort of connection. Tell me the process that you went through to decide you wanted to do this. And then tell us about the experience of being part of the group. I don't recall any kind of barrier. I mean, the first time you go, you know, it, it can be rough. I mean, people are, they're definitely not there telling, you know, all these great tales of remission and, you know, anything like that, really. But I think I needed it at the time. And my wife worked with Stacy's. So that's how we met. I had read about it. And then it turns out, you know, my wife's coworker went there. And so, we buddied up and then it wasn't probably long after that, that myself and the director of our of our own support group, Mark Fanicone, was he went to camp with me to our first Camp Oasis in 2003. And that was really cool. So it's been so long ago, I, I barely even remember it. But once Stacy and I went to camp together and, and, you know, rocked out to the Journey's Greatest Hits the whole way there and realized we were, you know, basically brother and sister, the support group was a lot better after that. Although it may not have been as good for everyone else, but I'll tell you, okay, if I've got a three-prong, you know, approach to this damn disease, it's you got to be able to laugh about it at some point because it's too depressing not to, right? So Stacy and I, we, we buddied up and had a great time. And then we came back to the support group. <laughs> we found ways to make it fun. And as you know, you know, like if, you, if you've been to the camp, obviously poop jokes and all that stuff, it just, it just runs with it and everybody has a good time with it. And again, because that's all you can do. I mean, that's all you can do is laugh about it. And when you get together with people that, you know, are like-minded or that have been there, you, you might have to pull them. You know, you might have to say, look, you're going to laugh about this before it's all over. I know you don't want to, but you know, you're, you're going to, and, and that's what would happen. But the support group overall, it was good for me, but once I really got into camp, I didn't need it anymore. And I also moved out of the city. So it was no longer, you know, it's like 45 minutes, an hour for me to go. And also it's kind of tough being the guy at the support group who's in remission, you know, and, but I, but I will say that there's a, and she's still a friend of mine in this day. Uh, she was in the support group and she had really long remissions. And I was like, I want to be you, you know, like what you, you got ulcerative colitis and you've been in remission for 15 years. I know, I know, I think she had a flare at some point. And I remember being really disappointed, like being like, dang. I thought you had this, you know, you got this. But at the same time, like being the guy there early on and, you know, yeah, I'm in remission for one year, two years, three years. I had no idea that how long that was going to go. The camp became my support group and a whole lot. And one that was a lot more fun and one where I could not tell my exact story, but yeah. where I could show kids that I'm in remission and I have been for a long time, longer than you've been alive. You know, I hope that gives people hope. I think it does. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's interesting about support groups is it does really need both. It needs the people who are struggling, but it also needs the people who are not because they can then share their stories and give hope that like this yeah. is, it's not always going to be like this, you know, that there is hope at the end of this tunnel, but you mentioned camp and we love camp. So yeah. I want to talk about that because <laughs> I just did math and I'm a social worker, so it's hard for me. That means you have kids that you met at camp that were your your campers when you were a counselor are now like full-fledged adults 
They sure are. Well, you know, my camp experience is really unique too, because the first seven years that I went and I went with Mark Fantacone and he was my co-counselor. So we, I was, it was so nice to like get to know him that way outside of the, the support group, which he was the leader of in Austin and to see him have a good time. I mean, this guy, he had had, he had had Crohn's disease since he was like nine, which was like 40 years at the time. And I'm like, wow, you've had this for 40 years, you know, and I've had it for like five or whatever. But what was so cool was that, and it just worked out this way. We had about three or four, maybe the same core campers the whole time. So I got to be with them from sixth, seventh grade to graduating and they were all buddies and they, and it was so nice. So you get to camp and I'm like, bam, these guys haven't seen each other, but it doesn't matter. And I mean, it it was so easy and you know, you'd have, you'd always have one or two wild cards out of the bunch, but it was so easy, but yeah, that was just so, so cool to do that and watch them grow. And and then much later now, because now I've been through, you know, what would have been two cycles of, I mean, I've almost been going to camp for 20 years. So I've had two and three different cycles. But I didn't ever have that same kind of counselor and, and campers experience. And that was just so great. You know, I mean, it really was a, a magical thing to be a part of that. I mean, I definitely think there is some camp magic for sure. We have talked about camp. We've had other camp counselors or people that are involved in camp on this show. I am curious if somebody were to ask you if they wanted to get involved to be a counselor at camp, pros and cons. Overwhelmingly, like the mission is there. So the pro is going to be there. You know, you're going to go and if you do your job right, you're going to help these kids have fun. And if you do it really well, maybe they'll talk a little bit about their disease or something like that. And if you do it really, really well, they won't think about their disease at all. But that's kind of impossible because that's kind of the point, right? I mean, the cons are you never know the kids you're going to get and you can have some you can have some difficult kids. But, you know, I, I just think, though, yeah, I mean, if you have colitis, if you have Crohn's disease, it'll just change your perspective. You know, when you see a seven-year-old, you're not going to feel sorry for yourself. And I did. I spent a lot of years feeling sorry for myself and really just being angry. Like, why did I get this? You know, now I can say, wow. You know, my doctor said something to me, which was kind of a realist and why he's still my doctor to this day. But he said, uh, you know, the average person gets five diseases in their life. The goal is to get five that won't kill you. You have one of them, you know? And I was like, all right, I'll check that out the old box, you know? I was like, thanks for being honest with me, doc. You know? I agree with you. I think that's the sort of beautiful thing about camp for maybe kids and for the counselors that come that do happen to have the disease is that it does help you gain some perspective and it does help you perhaps count your blessings where they come. Yeah. Um, I mean, you go to camp, there's going to be somebody who's worse than you, (laughs) you know, not the comparative suffering is any good, at least according to Renee Brown, but we all do it. But also I think it's the only place where you can get that if you are that person that is suffering, that there's somebody else that can relate. You know, I think it, it just like the support group. I mean, there's going to be somebody there who's going to say, I get it. Even if they're not currently suffering it, it, at some point they had a moment where they were like, you know what? I am at my wits end. I'm angry. I am on prednisone. I want to punch my radio, yeah, yeah. radio through my cards. Is that even a thing anymore? I want to, you know, punch my touch screen in my brand new fancy car. Right, you know, yeah. I think everybody can relate to that. That's at camp because they've all had that moment when they were prednisone angry or they were just desperate and they wanted an answer and it wasn't coming. And so I think that's the beauty is that it's the place where you go, where you can normalize absolutely everything about this disease, you know, your poop jokes, your fart jokes, but also like the the emotions that come along with dealing with a chronic illness. So I think it's just a really special place. 
Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it changed me. I feel like the first day I was there, you know, and I, and I really do believe that as much weight as I throw to other things that I've tried, you know, having that attitude, no longer feeling sorry for myself and realizing that, you know, I'm not alone and that a lot of people have this, and, you know, now, like, I can't even imagine like what my life would be like if I hadn't had it, you know, and I guess I can say that from a place of comfort because yeah. I don't feel like I have it anymore, but I have so many friends, you know, that I, I wouldn't have had otherwise. I mean, it becomes your mission, right? Right? It's your thing. Like, you know, oh, there's my charity. Here's my volunteering, yada, yada, yada. It just kind of, it can consume you. And, and in a way, being consumed by it and realizing you're part of this like bigger community, it ha- it's a silver lining that, well, you got to be a part of that community to understand. And I, I feel lucky that I found it. You know, I talk to people all the time, never heard anything like that. You know, it's like, wow, find your cause, find your purpose and go after it. Yeah. It can be incredibly uplifting to be part of a larger community of people and and to feel like you have that team around you. I, I agree with you. So fun fact about you that again, we've, we've touched on is that you are a performer. So you're a musician. You just mentioned that you're in a play. Tell us how you started that. Are you like a theater major, like performance major? Like how did this come about? Well, I, I have a degree in film, so I do my my earliest background was in film. And then I just, I you know, I started playing guitar at 16 and moved to live music capital of the world and started a band and, you know, did all that. And that that was fun. But I just did that on my own. And thank God I did, by the way, because, man, when you're really sick at home and you can't go anywhere, that guitar, I mean, that thing saved me, no doubt. And I got a lot of good songs out of that misery, too. Uh, that, that's the kind of thing about good songs. There's only one good way to get them, and it's a bad one. But theater, really, as odd as it is to say, uh, I kind of fell into that almost. Like, my son had been doing it for a while. We have a community theater called the Bastrop Opera House. And he had been, both my sons were in acting for a little bit and taking classes. And uh, and my oldest didn't really care for it. But my youngest, he seemed to have an affinity for it. And it was pretty good. And he was doing it. And then COVID hit and I had been stuck at home forever. This was probably October 2020. And our community theater had shut down for a couple of months, a couple, three months, like everything else. It canceled some shows. And then they, I mean, to put it no other way, they needed the money. And, and you know, we live where we live. So they were not really all okay with shutting everything down. So they opened back up to, uh, I guess, you know, like, half capacity kind of thing but they put out put out an ad uh, on facebook you know for auditions for elf the musical and i love elf the movie so i was like i'm gonna go audition because i had seen a show or two up there as well like the you know they had the academy that my son was in the acting academy where they do their shows but then they you know they typically have a show every month uh, a local production and i I had seen a christmas carol rag a a couple of years before and i remember sitting in the audience and going like that looks fun so and i and i i had been in another band I, i had about five years where i was in a 90s rock cover band called dirty black flannel and that was great oh my god and i was like you know i had kind of like a we could always get a gig on the weekends on sixth street at at this bar where we you know we knew the guy and they pay us twice as much as anybody else and i'm like wow making money playing music you know this is great this is not that that's why you want to do it but man to finally actually do it is kind of nice uh but then my band we took a little break and it, it just stuck and so i didn't really have a creative outlet and i just took a chance and went and auditioned for elf but you know i came this close like i was driving in the car to the audition and i'm like what the hell am i doing i'm going to an audition in the middle of a pandemic what is wrong with me you know but i kept going and i got a part and i just i was good at it 
I don't know how to say it any other way. Maybe, I mean, I am a, I am a film student. I am a creative, I'm a writer. Uh, so I guess it was just, I guess everybody knew I could act but me because I had never tried. And also I do remember like in college trying to direct people and being like, God, they really suck. Acting must be hard. I swear to you. I think everyone in the world, almost like American Idol, they think they can act. Until you try, you know, it's like singing in the car. But apparently I could, and uh, and I'm a really good bad guy. So I was a bad guy in Elf, and, and, and the, the musical is different from the movie, so I won't, I won't bore you with trying to change it. Although I think the musical is really good, by the way. It was a Broadway musical. Uh, it was also a musical, so it allowed me to do some singing. And it was the craziest thing because, I mean, the world was shut down. And there I am doing the arguably the most dangerous thing you could do, singing in a tiny room with a bunch of people. And right at the beginning, our buddy and his wife was was playing Joby and, and he got COVID. So like it was an ominous start, but somehow no one else got it. And we pulled that playoff and it was a Christmas miracle and everybody needed it. And people were there in December of 2020, masked up. We had these ridiculous plastic masks that probably did nothing other than gave the impression of we were at least trying. Uh, and we pulled off like 11, 12, 13, you know, mostly sold out shows. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, I got the bug and then I've done, this is my fourth play. I was, I wasn't actually trying to be in this one. Uh, I was just taking my son for his role and I kind of got voluntold into three kind of smaller parts. But I mean, I'm telling you, like the joy at that time at the, during that Christmas show when people had been locked up and they were people were dying, literally, and people were scared to death. It was amazing. And we I think the only reason we got away with it was just being in our own little town and being a little bit more removed. Because I mean, every day I would be like checking the numbers, you know, and just like and this is pre-vaccine, you know, so we are one one and all it would have taken, all it would have taken was one person. But we got that out of the way early and we cruised through and it was just it was a, a great experience. I mean, the highlight of my pandemic, no doubt. And then it's weird because like, wow, I found this thing that I really enjoy during the pandemic. Right. Like, would I have tried that if it hadn't been for the pandemic? They, I call them the virtues of the pandemic. Weird things that come out of them, you know, that like you, you wouldn't have had otherwise. For sure. I mean, like even the fact that we're sitting and watching each other on a screen together is would probably not have happened. Yeah, we all figured that out. We all, yeah. I mean, it's like the, my wife's becoming a, a counselor. She's getting her master's. And I mean, this is a game changer for that, that for, you know, sure. for everyone, it makes it so much more accessible. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me, that was just, I, I fell into it and I enjoyed it. And then I did another musical last summer, also still in COVID, but at least after the first vaccine, but it was still like, wow, you know, I mean, at any, we're, we're here with a lot of people and it was a musical and we're singing and we did Hello, My Baby. And that was, that was just, we did, it was just great. Like I had not been, I had also not been a part of something that was that collaborative with that many people in a long time. But also I was pretty well known for my skits at camp. You know, I, I mean, I'd go so far as to say a legend. Oh, <laughs> I I mean, yes, I, that's clearly why this Ask happened. around. If you don't believe me, ask around. You know, I, we'll ask Stacy. We'll bring Stacy back and ask her. Well, Stacy knows, <laughs> but then talk about the pressure, man. People are always expecting you to knock one out of the park, and you get six kids who don't really have any interest in it. Boy, it's tough. But you know, everybody brings it on game day. Very true. I, number one, I love the name Dirty Black Flannel. Child of the like, you know, the 1996 kind of era is the the coming up years. I, this is completely off topic, but top five songs in your set list for Dirty Black Flannel. 
That's tough because they're all good. What were the five that people were like screaming at you, throwing I mean, panties at the stage? I mean, if you really wanted to like bring the house down, you just play Inner Sandman by Metallica. We did a lot of Foo Fighters. I, I sang Monkey Wrench. That was fun. One of my favorites was Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots, you know, driving faster in my car. Because that, that one, I don't know, I'm not going to get into my specific lines, but we had kind of done that one late. We did, one of my favorites was by far Chair Brock by the Smashing Pumpkins. That was a good opener because it's just like a lot of good energy straight from the get-go. Yeah, all the Metallica. I mean, I just, I love Metallica. We were we were kind of, you know, more rocking. Alice in Chains, I mean, one of my favorite bands. Yeah, I mean, we did we did a lot of different stuff. We, we did way more than I ever thought we would do when I formed the band uh, because mainly I just happened to luck up and find a singer who could sing like Chris Cornell. And I could sing like Gavin Rosdale or whatever, you know, and it, it just worked out. But the only thing we could not do was like Primus. Oh, we did God. Temple of the Dog, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, STP, Pearl Jam. We did the big five, I called them, you know, and it was great because before that I had been in an original band. And, you know, when people come in to see an original band, they don't know your music usually unless they're your 10 friends there. But you play something people know. You do it well. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have a good time. And we certainly did. Had I been in Austin, I think I would have been a big fan. I think like, you're just like, you're singing my tunes over there. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I definitely had some, some of my, my cronies come out to the shows. So uh, it was always fun to see them somewhere other than, you know, camp as a support group. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tommy, I hate to say this, but it's almost time to let you go. So last question for you, though, if you had one piece of advice for the IBD community, what would it be? I think it's kind of obvious after if anyone listened to everything that I said before this, but it, it is just to keep trying, you know, keep trying. And and I mean, newer things are going to continue to come up. Don't be afraid to try them. I mean, that was it was hell for me going through that week or two of intercourt, but I, I don't regret it. You know, I mean, I had to kind of try it because, well, like I said, the prednisone, it was not a long term solution. So I had to find something that was going to work. And I, I just kept trying and tried outside the box things and you know, not everything's going to work for you. And what worked for me may not work for you at all, you know, and what works for you may not work for me. So, you know, just, just keep trying. Don't give up. That's the key. Just keep trying. Don't give up. Tommy, thank you so much for coming on our show and making us laugh. I really have enjoyed meeting you. And so we're going to wrap things up by saying thank you for coming on the show. Thank everybody for listening and cheers. Hey, my pleasure. You know, I've been sitting on this story for a while, so I haven't told it in a while. I forget. Yeah, it does. It takes a little while to tell it, but uh, <laughs> so good to tell it. Hopefully, maybe it'll help somebody out. I don't know. Thank you so much, Tommy. Hey, everyone. This is Tommy. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, review it, subscribe, and don't keep it to yourself. <laughs>